Let's continue to worship as we open to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He is our rock, our firm foundation, our living stone. Steward the story. It's our stewardship emphasis as we enter into 2022. And we intentionally and purposely want to set out this year to trace our DNA as a church, trace all the way back to 1880 and seek the Lord and see with the eyes of faith how the Lord might be calling us to take what we know and love and cherish and see it, take it, and watch the Lord work as it is multiplied in the next generation of Christ followers who will call this beautiful and wonderful church home. And we want to be careful how we use the word story. We understand there are, t- there are tons of stories in life. There are fiction and nonfiction. There's fairy tales and fables. And so when we talk about stewarding the story, we're talking about the story of God, the, the truth of God's word, as it plays out in the context of the people of God. Or to say it like this, to steward the perfect story of God among imperfect people. Last week, uh, Bill preached on the glory of God and the story of First Baptist. If you missed that, I would encourage you to go on our website and watch that sometime this week, especially if you have been a member of First Baptist for a while. I think you'll find that incredibly encouraging and edifying for you. Today, what we want to consider is the glory of God in the heart of a steward. So we know we have a rich history and heritage, but in this present moment, we've been entrusted with something. So what then is our responsibility in that moment? And I believe 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, which will be our text today, speak very boldly and clearly and plainly and give us a few things for us in our time together this morning. I want to read those two uh, verses of Scripture, and then we'll pray together. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Lord, uh, what a beautiful time of worship this morning. God, it's a fresh reminder that it might be cold outside And God, it might be cold in other of our buildings this morning, God, but there is great warmth. God, when we, your people, gather together to worship you together. And we thank you for that high privilege. So, Lord, as we continue in that effort, Lord, we want you to be honored and glorified through the teaching, preaching, hearing, and obeying of your word. And, Lord, in that task, we need the power of your spirit, God, to attune the truth of your word. So, Father, in our hearts this morning, we pray. God, that you would do something that only you can do, and that has helped us look more like Jesus. So God, to that end, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Bill painted a picture for us, a beautiful picture of God's faithfulness, and in that, the foundation of that faithfulness is God's love for you. A beautiful picture, beautiful illustrations of the story of God at First Baptist Church. And time after time after time, how God has proven to be faithful to us and in us and for us. However, the most convicting thing in, in my heart, in my life, from that sermon last Sunday, was how that same foundation for the past is the bridge to the future. And that is the love of God. 
It's all about the love of God. The, the love of God is the foundation for his faithfulness. But in the love of God, it's also our hope for the future because it is God's love that keeps you. As Bill mentioned last week, your commitment is too frail to keep yourself. Your conviction is too fragile to keep yourself. Even with the best motives and intentions and the best efforts, we are still utterly dependent upon God. And that's a beautiful thing because what we've seen in your life and our story is God over and over and over and over again proves that he is faithful. And so that kind of begs the question. We're gathered here the second Sunday of 2022, begs the question, now what? Buildings are built and they're paid for, praise God, right? A lot of work, a lot of effort, a lot of ministry opportunities, a lot of mission partnerships, but we're kind of at this moment, and you felt this as a church. If you remember back when when Bill retired here quite a few years ago now, uh, y'all participated in what was a listening weekend where someone came in and and tried to discern the heart of the people of God and what he was calling you to do. And then again, after Dennis's departure a few years ago, the same principle, same concept came and kind of discerned the heart of the people of God. What is God desiring to do within his people at First Baptist? And if you look at that report, and the office has those, if you ever want to go back and revisit those, they're beautiful pictures of the heart of God within you and the desires of God that he's placed within you. And so that begs the question for us gathered this morning, well, what are we to do? And pastorally, in answering the question, I want to caution us because we may miss the heart of the question. And what I mean by that, it's not just that we need a new project to accomplish together. Church is so much more than just a project to get done. But doing is the overflow of being. It's ultimately an identity question. So more than the question, what is God calling us to do? The question is, who is God calling us to become? Because doing is the overflow of being. And so perhaps we could think about it like this, that the next endeavor that we are going to take on as a church as a church family, perhaps it's a being campaign instead of a building campaign. What if God wants to shore up within us some of the foundational pillars of who we are as the people of God and why we exist as the people of God on this particular street corner for God? And in that surfaces for us an identity question. And in that identity, I believe that brings us back to our text this morning where God is looking into the heart of the people of God and within that heart, he desires to see within us a heart to steward the things that we have been entrusted with. And so for the next few moments this morning, I want us to consider three things from these two verses that capture the heart of a steward. And the first thing that we'll consider is the heart of a steward contains the heart of Service that we desire to truly serve God or to be a servant of Christ, as Paul says in verse 1. The first part of that verse this is how one should regard us as stewards of Christ. Paul begins, and in this, oftentimes we jump to our desire to steward the things of God, and we miss the fact that before we are to steward the things of God, the desire within us should be to serve God. That before we even want God's things, we want himself. 
And our efforts as his servant is to seek him in those things. This famous quote fits quite well here. That if service is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. The heart of the Christian is a heart to serve. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 20. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Greek word here that's used for servant is the picture of an under rower. Now I know rowing is becoming a bit of a pretty foreign concept outside of the Olympics maybe. Um, But Amy and I invested a couple, about a year ago now, into a rowing machine for our workout room. It's a very difficult workout. But even in that moment, you are just by yourself. But the principle here is, is an under rower, there would be multiple of these within a given boat. And their responsibility would be to row the boat. Um, and, 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 and in their doing so, like you can imagine how much was dependent upon their effort and their unity to do that. I remember on one particular vacation from my childhood, I was a teenager and my family went to Hilton Head and my mom, always keen for an adventure, uh, thought we should rent kayaks as a family and kind of tour. If you've been to Hilton Head, like Harbor Town, the Lighthouse, all those things. Um, but for some reason, in my adolescence, I didn't understand. In adulthood, I clearly understand. They, they, they rent two-person kayaks. And they would not let me be in the same kayak as my sister. And you probably, as parents and grandparents, can laugh and know exactly why. Uh, because rowing, if you're not in sync... Uh, can be a particularly frustrating event, can't it? And my parents, knowing probably my personality more than my sister's, knew that one of us would have ended up in the water. And that not would have been a good thing. Why? Because although a captain may set the course, the speed and direction and safety of the journey is utterly dependent upon the unity of the under rowers. You see, if one person is rowing by themselves, they'll wear out. They'll burn out. They'll give out. But if a group of people can rally around a common destination and a common purpose, the unity of the people, you know the old adage, a lot of hands make a load light, right? Constantly and consistently rowing in the same direction can be a beautiful picture. And that's the picture that Paul uses to describe the heart of who we are to be as servants of Christ. Listen, we can't do it all we can do something. We can't invite the whole city of Rocky Mountain into faith with Jesus, but we can invite someone. You might not can invite your whole neighborhood to join you and this beautiful church family, but you can invite someone. And 400 of us, some ones who call this church home, each do a little bit, a whole lot gets done. And that's the picture that God uses to teach us about what it means to truly serve God. If you look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, what's the chapter heading of that chapter? Divisions in the church. You see, Paul knew that the way to prevent divisions in the church was for all of us to adequately and accurately understand our role as under rowers. That God has set the course for his church. It's not found in the pages of our history book, although it's a beautiful book. It's found in the pages of Scripture. The purpose of the church is clear and plain for the people of God. So then our responsibility as stewards and of servants is to grab the oar and start pulling. But not however fast we want to and whenever we want to, 
but within unity of the body of Christ, that we can pursue a common purpose or mission together. And don't miss this. Paul, the greatest apostle, teacher, writer, missionary, church planter the world has ever known. He says, more than any of those things, I'm not going to find my identity in my successes in those things. My identity is going to be found and fixed in the reality that I serve Jesus, that I am his servant. I'm going to give my life to serve him. His glory was in his identity, not in what he would do for him. But notice how Paul describes this. One should regard us. Now, we live in a WebMD world. Ever looked up WebMD? Where you diagnose your own symptoms and self-diagnose whatever you have going on in your life or in your body or in your sickness or your wellness. That's not the way that Paul describes this. We don't WebMD ourselves as a servant. The picture here is when people look upon us, on our hearts and on our lives, this is how one should regard us. It's not what you think you are. It's what others see within you. That's the quality here that Paul is writing. That's what a servant of the living Christ looks like. And so you see, before we even get to the story that we are to steward as the people of God, we must ask ourselves this fundamental and foundational question. Will you serve Jesus? Will you give your life to be known for nothing more and nothing less than being a servant of Christ? And we're not the first person to ask this question. In fact, the people of God have been asking this question literally since the very beginning. You remember the way Joshua phrased it in Joshua chapter 24? He says, choose whom you will serve this day. You got to put away the gods of your forefathers, the gods of the past traditions, the gods your ancestors worshiped. And you, this people standing before me, Joshua says, you must choose who you will serve. And the picture here is that we as the people of God have a conscious choice to serve the living Christ. But our temptation is to take that conscious choice and to frame it in a way that's comfortable and maybe palpable for us, right? But what does biblical service look like? Well, the Bible is full of rich examples, but if we could pick three from the life of Jesus, what does biblical service look like? In Luke 14, Jesus paints the picture of biblical service as looking like carrying your cross, denying yourself, taking up your cross and following him. That's the picture of what it means to serve Jesus. Or in John chapter 13, Jesus washing his disciples' feet. That's the call of God on our lives, to to be a servant of the king. Or a sharper illustration, Hebrews chapter 12. The service is for us the joyful submission to God even when it cost us our lives, is what Jesus is saying in Hebrews chapter 12. He was willing to endure the cross, despising its shame. Or the psalmist says it like this in Psalm 84, that it is better to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell within the tents of the wicked. This is the heart of a steward. It's a heart that's found within the desire to serve Christ. Second thing that teaches about the heart of a steward is that within that heart is the desire and the commitment of faith. The second part of verse one, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. 
before we unpack what it means to steward the mysteries of God, we have to realize in the very beginning, before we can steward the mysteries of God, we have to have faith in the mysteries of God. You see, the Bible teaches without faith, it is impossible to please God. And in our lives and in our devotional lives and in our church and our family, sometimes our temptation is to separate faith in God from what faith in what God can do. Like we like to separate one from being and doing. And what we see, the Bible brings those together. Our faith in God is faith not only in the fact that he saved us on the cross from our sins, but every single day he saves us from our sins. That is a both and here. The Bible in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, Abraham believed God. By faith, Enoch walked with God. Moses followed God. All throughout the Old Testament, these stories continue. Daniel obeyed God. David worshiped God. The prophets spoke of God. And our responsibility today, living on this side of the life of Christ, is to steward the mysteries of God. So as it comes to faith and in our lives, the Bible calls us to both possess faith and to exercise faith. We don't get to choose one. We have to possess it and exercise it. Like, think about it in the physical fitness. Like, if you want to be fit and healthy, you don't get to choose between diet and exercise. It's both, right? In spiritual fitness, you don't get to choose between one or the other. It is the diet of receiving God's word and the exercise of obeying God's word. That's what health faith looks like for us. It's both and. And in that faith, we have the heart of a steward. And this biblical term is the picture of someone who manages the affairs of his master's household. So a steward does not own the things of his master, but the steward has been entrusted to manage what his master owns. It's a management picture, a picture of their willingness to be faithful in that. Uh, Many of you have a financial advisor. Um, If not, you know that they exist, right? What's the job of a financial advisor? They do not add money to your investment account. Well, I guess if they do, (laughs) you should share that person's number with us, right? That's not their job. Um, Their job is to take the resources that you have contributed and to manage them, to steward them. That's the picture here. Like we don't to offer God. We take what God has given to us in its abundance and we steward it. We steward the riches of God. I think this principle is found beautifully in the parable of the sower. You remember the one seed that falls upon good soil. What happens to that seed? It multiplies a hundredfold. We don't take the seed. We don't manufacture the seed. We sow the seed. And where the, sow, the, the, the seed falls and hits good soil, it naturally takes place because God is supernaturally at work in those moments. So what are we to steward? We're to steward the mysteries of God. Not the understandings of God, but the mysteries of God. Paul writes a lot of the mysteries of God. In Romans, he writes about the mystery of faith. In Ephesians, he writes about the mystery of the church. In 1 Thessalonians, he writes about the mystery of Christ coming again. And in those things that we, in the finality and futility of our minds, we can't fully understand, our 
call is to believe those things in faith. So we don't, we don't, we don't need to be scared of the mystery of faith. Faith is the means by which God, through his grace, calls us into salvation unto him. We don't get saved when we figure everything out. We get saved whenever we believe in faith. So the, the idea of, uh, of the mystery is the call of obedience and faith in a God who sovereignly rules and reigns over and in the hearts of his people. And this should be a good thing for us. The mysteries of faith are a beautiful thing to us. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to worship a God that I can fully understand. My car keys, right? I can't keep track of my cell phone. And yet I want to worship a God that I can fully in my own mind understand. You see, my mind is too finite and my flesh is too fragile. And that's why in these moments, the call is not for Luke to get it all together. The call is for Luke to believe in faith. It's how we receive the gospel of Jesus and his son to earth to die an atoning death on the cross for our sins, in which our sins are exchanged for his righteousness, that our life was exchanged for his death. And in that place, in faith, we believe the gospel and the reality that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we in Christ are now sons of God. That is the great mystery that we believe in faith. Like we do not and cannot understand all the hows and whys of everything that I just said. But we believe in faith that God has accomplished on our behalf through the blood of his own son. We believe in faith and that captures the heart of a steward. The mysteries of God. So the heart of a steward is the heart of a servant. It's the heart of of faith. Third thing, it's the heart of commitment. Look at verse two. Moreover, it is required of servants that they be found faithful. Found faithful. It is required of servants that they be found faithful. Let's go back to the illustration of a financial planner. Like if they are not managing your resources, you fire them. You get a new one, right? If they are mismanaging your resources, you file a lawsuit against them. That's not what God does for us. Thank God for his grace towards us. And we are not managing his resources well. He gives us grace. And when we are mismanaging his resources, God gives us grace, both individually and corporately as a church. It doesn't change the call of God that we should be found faithful. But the promise in 2 Timothy 2 is that even if we are faithless. He remains faithful. God uses us in this moment, but it doesn't change the call and the command that we see here to be found faithful. It's not really that we are to be faithful. That we can just be faithful at one given point in time and check that box and move on from that. The picture here is that we would be found that way. This idea of being committed, to being faithful, the picture of faithfulness in the Bible is, is to express both love and loyalty to a cause. So the cause that we see in these couple verses is, is the cause of stewardship, to steward the mysteries of God well, that we carry with us the heart of a steward. And so the question for us is, do you love 
being a steward of the things of God? Are you loyal to the stewardship that God has entrusted to you? I think in all spheres of life, COVID has shown us, revealed within our own hearts, the things that we are really faithful to and faithful towards. I think it's true of work and faith and friends and family, all of those things. And we need to be careful that we're not only committed to the cause of Christ or maybe even the comforts of Christ, that we are truly committed holistically to the person of Christ. Because you see, faithfulness will not stand on good assumption. Faithfulness will not stand on good intention. D.A. Carson, New Scholar, says this, one generation gets the gospel, the next generation assumes the gospel, and the third generation loses the gospel. I don't know about you in your life, in your friend groups, in your families, but I've seen this equation play out far too many times in my life, in my friends, in my family. And that's why the call here is that we have to be found faithful. We can't just be faithful in one generation as a family. We are faithful in all generations as a family. We can't just be faithful in one generation of a church. We have to be faithful in all generations of the church, that we are faithful not just in the past, but in the present too. Supplemental text to 1 Corinthians 4 is Luke chapter 12. And it's actually a beautiful, longer narrative of of modeling the picture of what stewardship is. I want to read verses 35 through 40, because I believe it takes the heart of a steward and puts it uh, in present tense form for us. I'm going to read verses 35 through 40. You can either follow along with me now or make a note and go back and revisit it. Luke writes, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so they may open the door for him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. Verse 40, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. This parable is teaching that stewardship and service is found in the heart of being ready. The words here are stay dressed for action. Keep your lamp burning. And it shows the picture and the promise here of God that as long as God gives you breath, God gives you purpose. As long as he places breath within your lungs, he places purpose within your Heart And the heart of a steward is to be found faithful in that purpose. Be committed to his purpose for you and not your purpose for you. This is what it means to have this commitment, to be found faithful. Whenever it comes back, whenever it is, that I want to be ready. I want to have my lamp burning. I want to be serving Christ and stewarding his mysteries that I could be found that way. 
And so here's where this comes to a close for us today. Whatever the future holds for you, whatever the future holds for, for you and, and your family, whatever the future holds for us and, and, and our church family, the question in light of the truth of God's word today is this. Will we have, will we possess within us the heart of a steward? Will we serve with humility? Will we steward with faithfulness? Will we worship with joy? Will we give with generosity? Will we love without condition? Because here's the reality where we are in 2022 at this particular place we call First Baptist, the place where we call home. That however and whenever you entered into the story of First Baptist, we have to realize something. That we have inherited a rich history, a beautiful heritage of gospel faithfulness and missional emphasis. Like that is the story of First Baptist. And God is still telling that story. And God in his sovereignty and in his providence has you seated in the seat that you're in this morning has you serving in the leadership role that you're serving in at this moment, at this church, at this time. And I believe with all my heart, the reason why God is continuing to weave this narrative is because he's not done with us. That God's not finished with us. That he still has given us breath in our lungs and he has given us purpose in our hearts. And so the call and the question for us is this. Well, we have the heart of a steward. And even in those moments when our faith is weak or maybe where our faith is lacking, we can rest in the promise that when we are faithless, he is still faithful. And the call for us is to be faithful, to serve Christ and not ourselves, to steward his mysteries and not merely the things that we can understand about him. And in every moment of every day to be found faithful, to be ready, to be dressed for action with our lamps burning, expecting God, ready for God to come back, ready for God to call us into something new. Because we as a church, you as an individual, possess within you the heart of a steward. God, I don't want to own this. I just want to put my hands on the oars and keep this ship going in the right direction. Faithfully, obediently, humbly, but with purpose and with courage. Because we believe as a church that God is into something because it's who he is. It's not a reflection of who we are. We just have the heart of servant. We just have the heart of a steward. We just want to steward what he has entrusted to us. And as we close, here's the great reality that you cannot be found faithful stewarding the things of God if you do not know God. But in Christ, he extends to us an invitation that by grace you can, by faith, receive and understand and believe in the mysteries of God, that God sent his son to be your savior. And in that transaction, you can be adopted into the family of God, and then you can take on your role as a servant of Christ and a steward of his mystery and spend all of your days following him. Because here's the great promise. 
And a great reminder, he has not left us alone. The hymn of response this morning is a beautiful old hymn that he leadeth me. He leadeth me by his own hand. He leadeth me. His faithful follower I will be. Why? Because for by his hand he leadeth me. The heart of a steward is one that's willing to be led by God. May that be true of us, church. May that be true of you. Jesus, as we respond to you now, God, we pray that you would look deep within us. God, we know that there is real sin that we struggle with. God, that keeps us from rightly and adequately and fully serving you. So, Father, like a great master surgeon, God, we ask you in this moment, and remove it, God. God, there are things within our heart that are distracting us from fully and finally serving you. God, there are idols in our lives, God, that are keeping us from stewarding your mysteries. And so, Father, as we respond and as we confess to you, God, our desire for you to lead us, our commitment to be your faithful follower, God, we pray in this response, God, you would reveal sin that we could repent. God, that you would look deep within us and challenge and convict things that are preventing us from being the people you've called us to be. Lord Jesus, I look out at these people whom I love with great hope because I know they love you and I know they are committed to this church and I know they are excited about the future because we don't need to fear. God, you are with us. You are leading us by your hand. So Lord Jesus, help us to be your faithful followers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.